Welcome to the Dare to Care podcast, brought to you by HR Culture. And now here's your host, Susan Judd. Welcome everyone. I'm Susan Judd and this is the Dare to Care podcast. This is my final episode in season three on thought leadership. And my final episode for what has been a really incredible year in all sorts of ways for 2020. We started our year right here in Port Macquarie with bushfires. And then those bushfires rampaged throughout New South Wales and Victoria last summer. And then we were struck with COVID-19 coronavirus. And we've been impacted by this for the rest of the year, both nationally and internationally. And our school students worked at home for much of the year, especially in Victoria, which has only a few weeks ago come out of full lockdown. And we truly are one of the lucky countries across the globe with our international borders closed. And this has helped us minimise the numbers of people who have lost their lives and been impacted from COVID-19. If you and your loved ones have lost a family or friend to this awful illness, my thoughts are with you. So with this preamble, I'm excited to be able to bring you our episode today where I'm talking to a dear friend and colleague of mine whom I met 12 years ago and we instantly hit it off, David Smith. Like many friends and colleagues, Dave and I only actually see one another in person once or twice a year and this year it's really been via Zoom only. Let me introduce you to David. He is the director and founder of EQHQ, which he established to inspire leaders to develop their emotional intelligence capabilities. In 2017, David published his first book, The Emotionally Intelligent Leader, The Missing Ingredient for Leadership Success, which has sold over 1,000 copies worldwide. In the amazing work David does every day to help leaders at all levels to develop develop their emotional intelligence, understanding and behaviours. He's helped over 1,000 leaders to improve their leadership effectiveness, utilising the skills of emotional intelligence through one-on-one executive coaching and workshops. I have been trying to coax David into being a guest on the Dare to Care podcast for 12 months, and he has finally agreed. I am so excited to be catching up with him again and to be able to share with you the answers David has to our five questions on our Generation Zs and our workplaces. So hi, Dave, and welcome to the show. Hi, Juddy. Great to be here on a Friday. Looking forward to having our chat today. Excellent. Um, I think it would be really great if you could tell our listeners a little bit about, um, a little bit of background about yourself, your passions, and the inspiration for your book, The Emotionally Intelligent Leader. Yeah, absolutely. So... I can go back right back to my university days. So I actually started off as a salesperson, Daddy. I was actually recruited to sell aerial photographs door to door. And I actually got up into a management position with that and I became quite good at motivating people to sell aerial photographs. So then that kind of naturally progressed my career into that sales environment where I was responsible for leading teams of salespeople. Um, although I loved the sales environment, I didn't like the pressure in it. It was always about targets, task orientation, getting the results. I did well because I had that need to help the people that I was serving in terms of I sold advertising. So I wanted them to grow their business. So I had that kind of altruistic view of helping others. Um, And that's when I kind of got that light bulb moment that although I love the sales environment, the targets and the pressures of having to hit those every single day wasn't for me, but I loved helping others. So for some bizarre reason, I naturally migrated into the roles where 
the the focus was on helping others. So my first job after that was working for the Manchester Chamber of Commerce, which was a business support organisation. So it was driven by the need to help small businesses in Manchester grow, develop, thrive, survive. So that's when my passion started evolving. Um, and then I read Daniel Goldman's book, Why IQ, EQ Can Matter More Than IQ. Um, and in there, it said that there's two drivers in life for people in the workplace, those that have a need for achievement and those that have a need to help others. And I identified that the jobs that I was actually most passionate about was the, all the ones that I had that were helping others. Um, and that was where the passion was for the book. So, you know, as you know, I morphed out of the HR for SME space, my original company helping HR people in small businesses to the emotional intelligence space. And part of that journey was my desire to help others. So the book was a mass way of helping others to say, well, okay, I have, I'm only one person. I can't help a million people, but a million people could buy a book with that information in it. So that was the real driver for writing the book is that it was a great way of anybody can come to me and say, hey, I want to learn more about emotional intelligence. I can send them a book and they can just have a read about it and make their own conclusions around it. So that's that's where I came to be where I am today, Juddy. Awesome. Thank you very much for giving our listeners that background. And uh, we will put links to your how they can access your book or buy your book um, in our show notes at the end of the um, at the end of the session. Okay, what do you believe are the current challenges uh, millennials or Gen Zs uh, experience so far in the workplace? Are the employers or the or the or the actual uh, Gen Zers? Well, let's talk about. We can talk about both, but let's talk first about the the young people themselves. Yeah. So I think with the the young generation, they have a certain way of working, or they've they've grown up in that world of you know, really high access to technology. So if you think about the Gen Zs, Juddy, they've never experienced a world without social media. Mm. So they've got everything at their fingertips. They've got everything right in front of them. Um, they also have access to, you know, a lot more extensive internet ability. So if you think about our generation, we when we wanted to find out information, we often went to ask people for it. So we'd go and ask a parent, we'd go and ask a colleague, we'd go and ask somebody for the information. Or the Encyclopedia Britannica. Or this, well, when we go back that far, yeah, you might even go to the newspaper or, yeah, go to the library. You'd go to the library and try and find information because yes, you yes. have it. Yes. Whereas now they just Google it on a computer and whatever comes up on the computer screen is often what they believe. Yeah. So it's, 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 I think it's really interesting the way they actually source and find information in terms of the, in their roles. But I think also the challenges for them is that they have high expectations so because of the world that they've grown up in, it is such fast pace. They go into some organizations and they must walk in there, Juddy, and go, oh, my God, what have I done? Yeah. This organization is so behind the eight ball. Look yeah. at those big white things on their desk with keyboards. What are they? Um, look at my desk. It hasn't even got an ergonomic chair there. So I just think they have really high expectations what they're when they walk into the workplace of what, they, mm. what they're going to get. Yeah. Um, and I think then that leads to the frustration of this isn't what I expected. Um, yes. And because they've been brought up in that world where if they don't sort of get what they want, they kind of go, well, I'm going to look for something else then that's better. So they kind of run away from things. They don't deal with those, those problems head on. So I think they just need to you know, manage their expectations a little bit more effectively and understand that they're going to be working with people with, guess what, different beliefs, different views, different opinions. And then how do they adapt to those situations? Do they suddenly say, well, I'm a Gen Z here now, so um, I'm in the building, so we're going to do everything my way because I'm the smartest, I'm the most tech savvy, so I'm in control. Or maybe they look in the mirror and go, 
maybe I'll just sort of take a step back and learn from those people around and get to understand how they're working and then maybe modify some of my approaches and educate and try and develop the people I'm working with to better understand me so they can get more out of me and inspire me to perform in the workplace. Yeah. Yeah, I I actually agree with that. I think that, you know, depending on our Gen Z's personality, some of them will do be able to do that and be more adaptable than others. So there'll be others, won't there, that will join our workplaces. They'll have a look at the around them. They'll think, oh, my God, I've um, joined the most archaic um, company on the planet uh, because they've got those old computers or they're still yep. doing manual record keeping or manual timesheets or all these sorts of things that they wouldn't have been able to dream of because everything's technology-driven. Um, and, and, and a lot of them come out of that university education and guess what universities have the money to buy the latest technology mm. so they're always going to be one step ahead of their employees more often than not in terms of what they're used to and what they then get when they actually go into the work context yeah and so then you get this challenge of disappointment maybe don't you or this absolutely you, uh, they haven't quite met the desired expectation yeah and, and that's mm. often if you know if you've got smart people and I'm an employer, guess what? I'm going to oversell my business a little bit to get Juddy in the business because Juddy's really smart. She's really tech savvy. I really want her to come work for me. So I might just oversell our business just a little bit so that Juddy goes, what a great company to work for. And, and I get her in and then I hope I can maybe manage their expectations and maybe keep them, get them to stay in terms of once they're in. So yeah. that might happen in some instances as well, I think. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so our challenges for Gen Zs, uh, these high expectations and being able to manage them when they hit the ground when they hit the ground in the workplaces that it could be a little bit different to what they have been exposed to before through their education yep. um, and even in their homes yeah you know, the this... homes their upbringing their exposure to the world you know yeah. you've also got to remember that they've been most of the gen z's coming into the workforce have been brought up by generation x's yeah. So they're going to actually have some of the traits from those Generation X in terms of that independence, the, you know, the, the, the reliance upon themselves to actually get things mm. done. Yeah. So that's going to be some of the traits that are, they've learned from behaviours from their parents. And, you know, you are, we are shaped by the people that we grow up with in those formative years. So they're going to bring yeah. some of those traits into the workplace as well. Yeah, excellent. So, so what do you think, you know, this is a bit of a tangent from our typical five questions. Uh, what do you think... Uh, employers of Generation Z need to be mindful of? I think when we talk about the generations, I think first and foremost, we need to realise that they're not all the same. Mm. So we tend to kind of put them all in this one basket of, oh, they're Gen Zs, so therefore they have all got these traits. You know, they're adaptable, you know, they're technology savvy, and they are likely to be flight risk because they don't like staying in a job too long because they believe that their career is based on multiple jobs. But both you and I know, Juddy, that people have different personality styles. You, you mentioned that a couple of minutes ago, is that some of those people are going to be sceptical based on their personality style. Some of those people are going to have a high need for affiliation. So I think in terms of employers, they need to you know, stop listening to assumptions of these people and truly get to know and understand them. You know, what are the drivers of um, Gen X number one? You know, are they motivated by connection? Are they motivated by you know, outcomes, what is their real desire? What do they want to achieve? What are their values? What are their beliefs? Gen, you know, Gen X number two, what are their beliefs? Do they have a different belief system? You know, because they really value diversity, the generation Z, so they've got to be treated differently. So I think some of the issues around Gen Z have always been there with Gen Ys, with Gen Xs, with baby boomers, yeah. about the, the ability of the leaders and the people in the business to 
tune into the wavelength of the Generation Z and say, what are your motivations? What are, you, what are your drivers? What are your values? Um, and understand triggers as well. So when you go back to the Gen Zs, they also need to understand what are their triggers? What causes them to feel anxiety or stress or disappointment? And then manage those triggers and develop solutions on how they respond to a situation. So when they get a stimulus from someone, like we go back to that example of when the computers, they walk in that first office, they see those antiquated computers, they're triggered and they're like, oh my God, I'm really concerned now because I've taken a job where maybe it's not what I expected. How do you deal with that? There's two mm. ways you can either go, well, that's it. I'm taking my bat and ball. These computers are rubbish. It's never going to work. Walk out, run away. Or do you take a breath and go, well, okay, I'm a little bit concerned about the computers, but it's triggered an emotion in me. How do I manage that? And then maybe adapt or flex to make the best of what I've got and then develop strategies to, you know, work with those parameters that I have. Yeah. Awesome. So we've jumped right in to, um, to the connection between you know, uh, seeing those, in your example, seeing those antiquated computers, um, which my teenagers laugh at when they see them on TV, um, and that the emotion that the emotion that comes from, you know, being confronted, if you will, by um, something that's out of their, out of their, you know, understanding, I guess, or expectation. Yeah. And, mm. I, and I guess that leads on to the subject that we're both passionate about as well, Juddy, in terms of round emotion intelligence. Mm. So we, we know that emotional intelligence is growing as a, as a must-have skill in the workplace. And uh, historically, that was at the leadership point. You know, we all said, oh, let's develop emotionally intelligent leaders because that's what's important. Research now showing is that the more people that you expose to the concept of emotional intelligence at any age group is going to have significant benefit on them as a person, their well-being, their ability to work with people, connect, collaborate, communicate. So the, the other thing I think about in terms of those Generation Zs is that when an employee employs a generation, employs a generation Z, their emotional brain is still developing. So their personality is almost ingrained. And I think you can back me up here soon, whether it's, it's yeah. age seven or nine, they've pretty much got their personality traits and mm. style is there. It's not going to change for the rest of their life. Yeah. Whereas their emotional brain is not going to fully develop to the age of 29. Yeah. So Gen Zs are coming into the workplace age 21, 22, 23 out of university. And we don't treat them as if they're still developing in terms of their emotions. So we expect them to have the same capabilities as us when we're in our 35s up to 40s because we've actually grown. We understand our emotions. Mm. So I think the other thing that's really important for employees is to understand and try and help the Gen Zs to work out when their emotions impact their decisions, their thinking, their behaviors, and ultimately their performance and give them strategies to help manage those emotions so when you think about when they do get disappointed their natural inclination is a flight risk yeah. they go all right well that's it this this job's got those old computers i'm going to find another job that's got those better computers because that's how i work whereas if we actually help them manage and understand the emotion the trigger that caused it and then the ultimate the, then the sub, sub um, the actual response to that trigger there might be ways that they can then clear their brain out, refresh their brain so they can bring that cognitive ability back to actually look at the the, the situation from a different perspective and say well okay Maybe that's a trigger. I'm feeling a bit disappointed. My natural reaction is to run away. But if I take a step back, breathe, maybe I can do something different to maybe accommodate the actual work environment that I've been exposed to. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, really important for our listeners is, yes, we're using this example of 
this, you know, sometimes amusing example of old computers, but we can also insert there some, you know, some more powerful and even more relevant examples like the first time a young person gets some feedback that yep. isn't positive, uh, that is asking for improvement, and that's not always given in the most emotionally intelligent way either by the person giving it absolutely so um, and that's a really you know that's a a conversation that i've had with i've personally had with multiple leaders talking about um gen z's and how to give them feedback but also to gen z's talking to gen z's about how to um, understand that this is you know that typically you're going to get feedback and it's not always going to be fabulous you know so we have to look at that with a with a continuous improvement mindset and how can I use that to do, you know, to be better, to do better? And how do I, how can I manage the the emotions that I feel when I get that feedback? Yeah, absolutely. And even the working relationship with your manager. And if you think the manager that they might be working with, they're likely to be a different generation. There could be a Gen X, there could be a baby boomer. They're mm. going to have different views, different opinions. And they're not always going to agree with the opinions of a Gen Z and vice versa. Sometimes the Gen Z are going to look at a Gen X manager and go, <clears throat> really that's your belief my god that's so out of date whereas because we were grew up in that world we're like no no we actually believe that you no know, loyalty to an organization is really important they're going really loyalty oh my god if i'm here for a year you're going to get the best out of me and i'm off somewhere else because they have a different kind of psyche or mentality so it's a yeah. two-way street you know we, we assume that gen z's have to do something for the workforce but i think it's both ways we have to adapt and as leaders look at the gen z's and go again what do they want what are they how do i get this person engaged in the business you know, what are the things that I can do to unleash their passion and their potential? Yeah. Um, we, 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 we've got to start using our own abilities to bring the best out in others to get, you know, the, the traction that we want from this particular group of people in an organisation. Yeah. Love it. And that makes me want to ask you and move on, progress on to our second question, um, which is all about the best things, you know, some of the kind of really great qualities that our young people, our Gen Zs, um, are bringing or going to bring into our workplace. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, again, going back to the world that they grew up in, I think they, they, they're very adaptable. You know, you think of the, the one, going back to when we grew up in the world, Jody, you know, you think about the, the rate of change. You, I'm using the computer example because it's the best that I've got, but your example is a bit better. But the computer example is think that when we got a computer, that computer had a version, say, version 1989. The next version came out in like 2009. So it's like, oh, great, a new computer, 20 years. That's really exciting. That was a really quick turnaround. You think about the pace of change today. I go out and buy my Samsung 12. And I think, great, I've got the latest Samsung 12. 24 hours later, they've reached the Samsung 13. The speed of change is just mm-hmm. unbelievable. So they're used to working in technological, fast-paced environments. Yeah. So I think that's really good in terms of, but once again, it's, it's down to the, the employer to realize that potential and use them to innovate, to develop, challenge the status quo and say, hey, we're doing it this way. Is there a better way we can do that? And I think that's where they're good because they will get bored very quickly with certain ways of doing things. I myself, which is probably why you're going to struggle with a structure on your questions here, don't have a structure, Daddy. It's the way I am. I like to change things and do things a bit differently. And I'm sure the Gen Zs have similar sort of beliefs that they want to challenge. You know, are we using this way of doing things? Can I do it better? Can I find a quicker way? Absolutely. Sometimes that'll work. But once again, it's understanding that maybe you're entitled to your opinion, but sometimes your opinion might not be valid in that situation. So don't lose mm. faith in that. Mm. Actually, just keep keep challenging and keep putting forward those ideas. Um, I think they're also very good at being um, diversity is, is such a big word in the workplace now. 
And I think that once again, through the exposure to technology, to the internet, to you know that social media and the media machine in 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 whole, they're a lot more aware of diversity in the workplace. So they understand dynamics in those areas more effectively. So I think you know future generation of managers, they're going to be more inclusive. They're going to be more understanding of people's differences. Um, again, different people require different things in the workplace. They have different needs and 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 desires. Um, so I think they're going to be good at doing you know, looking at the difference and diverse needs of people within the business. So yeah. once again, you know, as an organization, you should celebrate that as someone that understands diversity and, and how it might motivate or drive people. Again, looking at those triggers that cause threat and reward states. What, is, what do they do well that cause, you know, people to get excited and, and what do they do poorly maybe that maybe annoy people? Mm. Um, I love, can I just jump in and say, yeah. you know, I lo- I'm, I'm actually really excited by that particular trait. I mean, I, you know, Yes, we know they're adaptable, but I love the idea that, and, the, and, and it generates kind of excitement to think that the way forward with this uh, this younger generation that are entering our workplace is, you know, their understanding and desire to have diverse workplaces and consult across different cohorts, you know, uh, uh, that's exciting. It is, and, and as leaders, we should be setting up the future of the organisation for them. So yes, we well, they are sit, the future, aren't they? Absolutely. We sit in our little chairs of leadership and say, oh, you know, great, I'm really enjoying my job because of this. Mm. We fail, sometimes fail to say, but I've only got five years left in my mm. tenure. So what can I do to ensure the longevity of the organisation, the sustainability of the organisation by setting it up to work and function for the next generation of workers in terms of how they're going to feel passionate and involved and engaged in the work so that they carry the business forward and forever in a day yeah so adapting again mm. any other characteristics oh there's low i've got i've got a whole list I've of them got, if you, want. you know i mean once i start talking this could be the four hour podcast you've been looking for now uh, look i think the other thing the, the final thing i think they're 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 very pragmatic um and i think they're, they're they can be seen as being disruptive but once again it's how you view that that, that disruption i don't think they do it from a disruptive place of trying to you know, screw up an organization. Mm. I think they do it because they they feel that they think they can do things better. And yes. once again, I think as employees, you need to harness that and 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 jump on the back of that and let them disrupt and 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 listen to the ideas because you know, sometimes when people have got ideas that are maybe outside of the your comfort zone, sometimes they're great ideas that um if we don't give them that creativity and the framework to express some of their opinions and and how they feel about situations or workplace practices organizations are going to stagnate and you will lose these people they won't want to work there because they'll find other organizations that will listen to them will take on board their ideas will drive the business through the eyes of the next generation rather than stagnating through the eyes of who we are now yeah i just to you know kind of summarize some of the things you said well just one of them in particular um that whole idea of thinking about where we are and how long we've got left and kind of what's the what's the legacy we have to kind of hand the baton over so we need to build them up to be the best leaders they can be um, by allowing them to I love your kind of lingo about allowing the disruption but give them a framework yeah and Um, and they're creative people and if you stimulate their creativity by creating an environment where they're not comfortable or they're not enjoying it as you know again their brain becomes you know less inclined to think laterally or you know yeah. exposed to new ideas it has that limiting and 
a thinning effect in terms of not being able to have that creativity. So if you create an environment where they can broaden and build in terms of their thoughts, how they research things, how they analyze things, you're going to inspire performance in them and you're going to unleash their percent potential in the workplace. Yeah, I love that, unleash their potential. <laughs> so let's talk about your understanding of employer expectations in our workplace. Um, what do you think, what do you believe in your experience in working with lots of different employer organisations? Uh, what do you believe they expect and do you think they're reasonable? Well, I think this is a bit of a, a, a broad brushstroke response Charlie, but I think a lot of organisations have the expectation that the next generation should conform. So this is how we operate. This is how we work here. Um, we know you've got a lot of creativity. However, we'd like you to do it our way. Um, and I think sometimes there is some merit in doing that. But once again, it's then how do you make that person feel that's coming into the organisation? You, know, you bring somebody in on the basis of that they're creative. They've got lots of great ideas. They're technically savvy. Um, you see them as being somebody to drive the business mm. and that's what's sort of talked about at interview level then you bring them in and someone's like I know you're really tech savvy Susan I know you're creative I know you really want to drive the organization however we'd just like you to do this this way and automatically you kind of just knock the winds out of their sails straight away because they've had that sense of expectation where they can make a difference and they're driven by making differences. They're globally yes. more aware of what's going on around the world than ever I was. And if I didn't even know what was going on in my back garden, yes. they know what's going on around the world. So they've got these big ideals of how they can change the world. And then we kind of push them into a small box and say, that's great about that big world picture stuff, but just focus on that administration task that you're doing. And that's all we want you to do. It's like, but how does this administration task help the world? Well, don't yes. worry about that. Just do your admin task. So we, we lose that, the, the inspired directional conversation we could have with them and we just kind of compartmentalize them so i think the mm. expectations of employers is that 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 they think that the the gen z should adapt to their way of working rather than again that two-way street of saying well okay what can i do to understand this person better what are their motivators what are their drivers and i'll keep saying that till the cows come home yeah what are their individual drivers they're not all the same they're all different so again I think the expectations are going to be employers because of all the, the research and the paraphernalia that's produced on Gen Z. They all assume they're all going to be the same, Jelly. Yeah. So yes. every Gen Z in the world is exactly the same. Yeah. They're all they're financially not. driven. They're all um, lacking resilience and all these things. They're not. They're all, they've all got different personality styles. They're all going to be different. However, they're going to have some of those particular traits that you can either harness or you can either diminish. And I think mm. that's the choice of those organisations in terms of how they manage those people. Mm. Um, and I think they have unrealistic expectations of the people in their organisation. And the final point, again, is around that emotional capability of the people that they're employing. They're still young. They're still developing. So they have to have a sense of responsibility. It's my responsibility to develop that person help them grow, help them understand how their emotions impact decisions, behavior, performance, help them understand the wider world, help them understand their contribution to the organization, what their purpose is, so that they feel like they're meeting all their needs and their desires and they're happy in what they do. So I agree. Um, I, and what you've made me consider while you're talking is yes understand as an employer the emotional capability of the young people coming into their workplaces is still developing so our job is to really help them manage that however there's a step I want to take a step back sure. and say so it's really important from an employer perspective 
to understand those things about themselves so that they can then guide and mentor and coach and lead those younger people coming into the workplace. What do you have to say about that? I agree with both. I think that's, I think that's a, a equivalent statement. Yeah, I believe the employers should have the capability, their leaders or the people within the ability should have that capability to develop those, um, the, the emotional capability of the people that they're responsible for. Mm. So yeah, absolutely. But I also think there's a, there's an onus upon them. But I think it's, let's take another step back in, in terms of, I think there's a sense of responsibility on the Gen Zs as well, um, yeah. that they need to enhance their own self-awareness. So they need to understand themselves better so they know what triggers them as well. Yeah. Um, and I think because they're young, they, they don't get exposed to that and often until it's too late. Mm. So, you know, I'm, but both you and I can reflect on experiences in the workplace and Juddy World now knowing what we know, we look back and go, ah, oh, okay. Now mm. I know why I reacted in that way because I felt this emotion that caused yes. me to react in this way. And I either fought or I, f- I ran away from the situation, that flight or fight behavior response. Yeah. So yeah. I'd stuff you. You don't care for me. I'm out of here. I'm, I'm resigned. And you walk away from a job. You reflect back now and go, but that wasn't wholly me. I, that was, I was made to feel that emotion that caused me to make that decision. So I think if we can enhance the self-awareness of that younger generation at 21, 22, 23, so they're aware of it, mm. so that they, they, they can then realize that when they do feel that impulse to make a really on-the-spot reactive decision, they can stop, pause and go, well, okay, what am I feeling? Why am I being in putting into a corner to make that decision? And maybe hopefully they can sort of reflect and make a more intentional response to that situation. So the decision becomes more effective and doesn't you know, do what we did. And we reflect and go, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you, you know, when you were talking, I was thinking if only I knew then what I knew now, um, I did that exact, I had that exact response in a workplace. You know, I was 21 years old. I had a manager who was really quite, I felt bullying. And I just stood up one day without, you know, kind of putting too much. I didn't, I went to work that day to work. And in the end, I went, I'm out of here. Yeah. And, you know, like, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, Fly, I'm flighting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm out of here, you know, and I walked out without anywhere to go, without anything, you know, no plan, just and, I'm not coming back. And that goes back to your salient point is shouldn't we be developing managers who have that ability to understand how they are impacting others? So yes, that, that's, that, that awareness of others is understanding as a leader. How am I making the Gen Zs feel? Yeah. You know, do I understand them? Do I understand they have different perspectives? Am I cognitive that I have differing beliefs because of my generational differences? And am I accommodating their beliefs or am I diminishing their beliefs? Yeah. Um, do I adjust my style to a Gen Z? You know, do I talk to them? How do they want to be communicated? I think that amazingly the research out there for Gen Z is they want to be communicated face to face. They want to look you in the eye and have a conversation. Yeah. We assume that oh, no, they want to do it by text or by computers. They don't. Yes. They want to inter- interact. They want to communicate. They want to collaborate. They yes. want to connect with humans. So yeah. I think it's in terms of that. Although they are a disconnected group of people and independent, they need relationships to make them feel good about what they do. And, and connected. We, absolutely. And I think and we connected. misinterpret that. We assume, oh, my God, here comes a Gen Z. Let's put him in a little cubicle over there and give him some tech stuff to do. He'll yeah. be fine. And he's thinking, does anyone want to talk to me? Because I'm quite happy yeah. to talk to people. I've got some great ideas I want to share. Now, you just work on your technical stuff over there. You don't need to speak to people. They're like, but I want to speak to people. It's really important to me. Yeah. I think we miss some of those cues in terms of the Gen Zs that we work with. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I think we kind of touched on it a couple of questions ago, but what are the critical skills that you believe 
young people need as they enter the into our modern workplaces? Um, I think that's, that's a really open question. I think one of the key things for me is is having a desire to learn, and ha- and a, and that that sort of mindset of lifelong learning, um, and not only a desire to learn from self, but a desire to learn from others. Um, and I think when we talk about we talked about earlier about there, if you ask um, the question of someone, can you go and answer this question? They're going to go straight to the internet. And I said in our day, we used to go and talk to people. Mm. So I think they also have to sort of change their mind. And say, well, what can I learn? from the generation X's? What can I learn from the generation Y's that are going to make me better placed for my future career? Um, and I think sometimes, again, we, we compartmentalize people and the Gen X act in this way, the Gen Y's act in this way, and the Gen X's act in this way. But there are some similarities in some of the yes. way they perform tasks that we can learn from each other and sharing. And that, we, we've used that word so many times today, collaborate. What can I pick up from other generations? Um, and it's hard. Um, I have conversations with my daughter regularly. She's 14, Jaddy, and she'll say, but that's my opinion. And I'll say, that's great, but where are you forming the basis of that opinion? Well, it doesn't matter. It's my opinion. And I'm like, that's great, Hazel, but it, I know it's your opinion, but have you done any research? Have you got any facts to substantiate that opinion? Or no, it's just my opinion. I'm entitled to my opinion. And I'm saying, but what if your opinion's wrong? What if it's mm. based on no facts? You know, it's like saying... Um, all women uh, are more likely to have car accidents. That's your opinion, but it's wrong. It doesn't make sense, but it's mm. how they resource that information. If they, if they, if a Gen Z comes to me and says, I've got an opinion on this, I've done some research, I've got this, 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 and this to back up, you go, wow, that's brilliant. But if they just come along and say, that's my opinion, it's like, yeah, but where from? I don't care. It's just my opinion. It's like, well, give me something more. So I think, you know, they need to have that desire to learn and not just be isolated in their own world in terms of how they see the world. Yeah, be a little bit and more open. Mm. Yeah, expand their experiences, expand their horizons, mm. learn from mm. different channels. My, I love learning from different, you know, channels. I'll go read books, Jody. I'll talk to people, and um, I'll yeah. research. I'll do lots of different things to get yeah. as much information from different sources. Yeah. Then I can make an informed decision of an opinion. Mm. And I'm quite opinionated, as you know. So once I've got all that data, I will share my opinion quite readily because I've done all my work and my research. So therefore, I think I'm right. If you know what I mean. <laughs> Anything else? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think also we talked about those triggers. So I think there's a that that conversation around resilience. Um, So I think you know they have been brought up in the world where they're used to getting what they want to get, and that's great when you're growing up as a child because the parents will often conform, and it's usually okay in education because they will adapt. But when it comes to the workplace, you don't always get what you want. So it's building that resilience that when you get those triggers of things aren't going the way that you want to, how do you respond? How do you keep your brain engaged so that you don't go into those flight or fight experiences that we've sort of shared in terms of the triggers. So as, as we know, when we experience an event around us, the emotional brain tags an event as a threat or reward state. Jody. So when we're in a threat state, we tend to be less capable of thinking, analyzing, understanding, recalling information, creating inhibitions. Our brain is hijacked by our emotions. So we make those decisions to run away or you know stand up and fight our corner. So if we can develop the resilience to keep that brain online for longer, it's an exhaustible resource. It runs out of energy. How do we keep that brain, you know, fueled like a car? If you don't fill your car up with petrol, Juddy, halfway down the road, you're going to run out and you're going to stop, break down. It's the same with the emotional brain as well. So it's about how do we fuel that? So I think they've got to try and learn strategies to build that resilience in terms of proactive strategies. So exercising, eating healthily, getting enough hours sleep, a lot of the gen Zeds operate on four to five hours and say, that's yeah. all I need. 
You need mm. more because your brain needs to go into deep sleep to refresh overnight. Otherwise, you start the next day half fueled. And yeah. when you get that trigger of disappointment, you react to go, oh, that's it. I'm done. I'm out of here. Yes, yes. Because your brain's tired because it hasn't got the capacity to think through. So mm. I think they need those strategies around, you know, thinking strategies. Have they got barriers to technology? Do they get that downtime so they can sleep more effectively? Are they exercising, eating well, which creates dopamine in their brain so their brain is more connected and on all the time? Um, have they got relational strategies? Can they talk to people? Can they share how they feel? Can they communicate, collaborate with others that, once again, that helps stimulate the, those dopamine chemicals in the brain that helps you yeah. operate more efficiently and more effectively? Um, so all these different stra- environmental strategies. I love it. Going for walks, getting outside, or they just stuck behind a computer every day. They go home from work, and then they go back on the Xbox. So all they see is screens and darkness. Yeah. So they need to get out and into the environment. So build that resilience so they're better able to manage the stresses that are placed upon them in a workplace study. Yeah. Okay. So that's great because we've, you know, yes, the link to this, the understanding and link to the triggers, but then also the proactive strategies that they can, um, and we know that people with uh, high levels of emotional intelligence are more self disciplined around. Um, doing some, you know, really regularly investing time in doing a broad range of these strategies. Yep. It's exercising the mental muscles as well mm. as the physical muscle. It's yeah. like keeping that yeah. brain, emotional muscle challenged and stimulated yeah. by, you know, thinking, th- thinking about things differently and not getting stuck in ruts. Yeah. So really important strategies and, 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 um, it's re- and I guess it's also a question out to the education system too, isn't it, to start to work with high school students um in these kinds of building these kinds of skills you know how resilient are they you know even just talking and i know lots of schools do talk about resilience but really understanding and having the discussions about the triggers and this management out of our emotions because you know lots of teenage males and females um, are, are struggling with their their physicality their physicality is an adult size physicality, right? They are grown into adults, but their brain hasn't caught up. Their emotional brain hasn't caught up yet. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's really help, really helping them. So our educators can be, as well as our parents um, and our employers of young people, it's a kind of a team effort, isn't it, really, to be yeah. able to start to work with these um, young, our young people uh, to build those sorts of disciplines. Yeah, and I think, I think schools are... are- tiptoeing in that space Mm. but they tend to be introducing the concept as you know just it's emotional intelligence it is what it is but they don't give them the understanding as to why yeah this is what this is what it is this is why it's happening i think the why is a really big piece in the schools that is is missing significantly Mm. and often um we tell them what it is and we give them the solution um on how what is and and i'll give you an example so when somebody is a bit stressed at school we'll say okay what is it you might be feeling the emotion it's mental illness as an example that's what Mm -hmm. it is but often they don't go back and say but what was the cause why is that happening why do you feel yeah yeah so what is what is the trigger for that why are you feeling anxious why are you feeling that and sometimes we just give them the easy we give them the answer before we give them the conversation to get to the answer if that kind of makes sense makes sense in my head i don't know whether that makes sense to anybody else yeah no it does um a little bit of work that I've been doing it with some schools in my area is exactly that in that year 10, 11 cohort um, to try and help them understand when they feel fight or flight, those, that sense of fight or flight, um, what, is the, what is the feeling? Like even yeah. just labelling, like trying to identify the emotion and why 
they felt that. What happened? Yeah, we we keep using that event? word trigger. What was yeah. the trigger? What triggered that emotion in me? Yeah. What was I the think... event that happened yeah, that absolutely. made you feel that way? There was an interaction probably. Yep. And, and I think about some of the examples that our students have kind of talked about is that, you know, the trigger was somebody I felt disrespected. You know, yep. somebody spoke to me in a way that I felt absolutely. really disrespected. And that made me, that triggered me to lose my temper. Yeah. It could be um, something as innocuous as you put your hand up in class to answer the question and the teacher ignores you. Yes, yes. And you might say, well, why, why aren't you coming to me? Or do you not value my, my answer? Why aren't you talking to me? And yeah. it could be, again, the teacher, you know, you put your hand up in the question, they go to Juddy again. It's like, oh, her again. Why does he always go to Susan? You know, then you get that sense of that's not fair. Why is that? Why does well, Susan always get the chance? I'm, so those I've triggers got something make to offer. Emotion. Yeah, I've got yes. something to offer. I've got some valuable to contribute. Why won't you include me? So it's that yeah. need for affiliation that sometimes drives those behaviours. It could be, you know, the need for control. There's so many drivers in motivation and we need to understand those things with the different generations in terms of, and when we go back to that workplace, Juddy, it's about what, 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 what about my role do I like? Those engagement conversations at the individual mm. level. What is it about my role that I enjoy? What is it I like about my team? What is it I like about the organisation that drives my engagement? And how is my relationship with the manager in terms of coming out of that, in terms of what are those four engagement conversations that I can have around self, team, manager and organisation to engage yeah. and motivate me? Do you have any advice for Gen Z? Um, I think the, the first advice i'd give them is be yourself you are who you are um, you'll be successful based on who you are your personality style and what you're passionate about in life so don't don't let people try and change you or put you in a box or in a corner and and, and label you as oh that's juddy she's a gen z mm. D- don't take that personally just celebrate that if someone says she's a gen z go yeah i am a gen z and guess what i've got all these great traits i'm brilliant at being creative i'm really adaptable what have you got so, you know, take it on as a positive rather than being a, a negative. But I think also in terms of the transition is understanding that they're still learning, they're still developing and see the work-life journey as a continuance of education and learning and development rather than the fine now, I've got a job, that's it, I stop learning now, people start listening to me. Yes, we want to listen and understand your ideas, but we want you to sort of immerse yourself in the culture of an organisation um, and get the feel for who are the people you are working with, how you can work better with them, how you can better connect, collaborate, communicate with these people, build your career around relationships and understanding of others um, and understand that some instances, you're not always going to get what you want, but it's how you deal with that. So there's a great quote, um, I, can't, I don't know who it's by, but it's, do not fear the winds of adversity, a kite rises against the wind rather than with it. So you're going to have adversity in your career, but it's your choice Stimulus and response, how you respond to that adversity. You can either you know, try and develop strategies to overcome it or you can run away from it and go and seek passage new where the likelihood is that adversity is going to rise again, again, until you actually deal with it and come up with strategies to go, well, okay, didn't expect that, but how can I make the best of that? How can I harness what I'm learning here to make me a better person and, and succeed in life and in the workplace? I think we, I think we, I think that was a great kind of, summary uh finish to our to our interview so dave so thank you so much for for your time today and sharing your insights about um you know some of the challenges and we and we kind of tangented off from our gen z's into you know some great advice 
um, for our employers as well, which I think is really important because um, it's it's a two it, the workplace is a two way street, isn't it? It's not just Gen Zs walking into the workplace and they have to do everything we say. It's it, like any relationship; it's got it's got multiple parties. Yeah. So I and think part, it, you think about Stephen Covey's one of his habits is seek first to understand, then to be understood. If you um, understand and a, the Gen Z, then explain how you can work better together. It's a, a responsibility on our employers to give young people the, the best experience to get the best out of them. It's up to leaders in workplaces um, to, you know, to bring them on board and make them feel like they belong and build connections and allow them some, some of that disruption that you were talking about um, and listen to their creative ideas. You know, they're not always going to be, they're not always going to solve problems and you're not always going to be able to implement them. But um, to be heard and to be explained, um, you know, whether that's a, you know, whether that's a great idea or it's not going to work in this circumstance because is really important so that we don't, so that the, those young people don't lose momentum as in, in, their, in coming forward with their ideas as well. Um, okay, so thank you for your time today, my friend. I really appreciate Pleasure. it and I hope that our listeners have enjoyed our discussion today and your answers to my interview question. I think they've been insightful and uh, well-considered. David, thank you so much for your time today. It's been insightful and a lot of fun for me to chat with you again about your thoughts and advice for our Generation Zs. And I know that we're really both interested in how we prepare our Generation Zs for the workplace and build their emotional intelligence whilst we work ourselves to help current and emerging leaders, whether those leaders are Gen Zs already in the workplace or leaders from other generations, helping them to be better leaders and to help them understand and inspire their teams to achieve their purpose. If you would like to purchase one of David's books, I will put the details of how to contact him in the episode show notes. To all of my podcast listeners, I want to thank you for subscribing and listening to our first three seasons. I will be taking a break over the festive season to plan out our strategy for 2021. I will be back in the new year with new guests and a change in our questions. In 2021, I'll be focusing my questions more on how employers can inspire and motivate their Generation Zs, just for a bit of a change of pace. So I'm really looking forward to getting started on season four of the Dare to Care podcast. So thank you for sticking with me in 2020. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please don't forget to take a minute to give our Dare to Care podcast a review on your podcast platform. At Dare to Care, we work with organisations small and large to build leadership skills, help emerging leaders to develop, build effective teamwork through trust, understand and build behaviours in emotional intelligence, interpersonal skills and effective communication. If you would like more information about Dare to Care or would like to receive our newsletter, you can contact us or sign up to our newsletter at our website, daretocare.com.au. That's daretocare.com.au. In addition, this year, Dare to Care has been working with school students in a program called Fast Track to Employment with our local state high school. This year, we worked with a group of Year 11 students who were looking for a different pathway into work from the traditional HSC. 
The program has delivered absolutely amazing outcomes for those students, of which about 90% of students are closing out the year successfully employed through participating in work experience with employers and securing either apprenticeships or full-time employment so they have transitioned out of high school. Dare to Care is looking forward to helping to impact the lives of our next group of high school students during 2021 through the program Fast Track to Employment. For more information about this program, I recommend you go back to Season 1, Episode 3, where I interview the Early Transitions Coordinator from our local state high school, Hastings Secondary College, Leon Rule, or reach out to me for more information at susan at daretocare.com.au. That's susan at daretocare.com.au. Thank you for listening. I'm Susan Judd. And until our next episode coming in 2021, how are you going to dare to care? Thank you for listening to the Dare to Care podcast. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or find out more about HR culture and dare to care by going to hrculture.com.au. You've been listening to another Morgan Media production. 